Welcome to Tits Up. When things go tits up, they're broken. Tits up can also mean brave up and get on with it. This is what we do as mothers. When things are broken, we pull up our big girl pants and we wade through the muck. For me, ever since I was little, all I wanted to be was a mum. Yeah, then two years ago, my, my dreams came true and I became a mum. <laughs> but then it, then it came to lockdown. Basically, that, that coincides really well with when um, I started slipping. There just seems to be so much pressure on getting your kid to sleep through the night. A sense of relief came over me that I was not such a crappy mother. And just hearing all the other mothers going through the same thing as me was just so comforting and validating. Because you're right, I did blame myself. You might have enough think asking questions around women about how much support have you got yep. would be really helpful. And I think a lot of mums actually play it down because they don't want to feel like they're doing it wrong played tapes of their own babies crying and played tapes of other babies crying and when it's your own baby, parts of your brain light up. This episode of Tits Up is sponsored by Booby Foods, all natural and organic foods to nourish you as you breastfeed your baby. So today we're talking to Jade Tolhurst and we're talking about a mother's pathway through mental illness. So Jade, our Tits Up guest for today, lives in Melbourne with her husband, Jordan, and two-year-old son, Oscar. She currently works part-time as a medical receptionist, volunteers for the Beyond Sleep Training Project. If you haven't heard of this, you better get on Facebook and have a look, and runs a postpartum mental health support group through Instagram, and her handle is Jade Postpartum, and I'll be putting that in the show notes anyway. Jade's life has been greatly impacted by mental illness, growing up with family members who've experienced conditions such as depression, anxiety, and bipolar disorder. Then as a new mother, she developed postnatal depression and anxiety. Two years postpartum, Jade is well into her recovery journey. Welcome, Jade. Hi, thanks, Pinky, for having me. It's a privilege, Jade. Jade, can you tell us who was Jade before you became a mother? Yeah, so um, it's an interesting question because for me, ever since I was little, all I wanted to be was a mum. So going through school, um, there's a big focus on your career. You know, the subjects that you take will lead you into some kind of career. And it just didn't interest me. I just, um, I took a broad range of subjects, but I wasn't particularly interested in in one career path so I just worked random jobs up until I met my husband and um, obviously dating him made sure we were on the same wavelength with wanting a family and um, yeah then two years ago my my dreams came true and I became a mum. <laughs> oh so you know, well, how was that experience of pregnancy for you and becoming a mum? Was it all you thought it would be or was it somehow different? Yeah, so I I think I was one of the lucky ones who had a really um, smooth pregnancy. Um, you know, I just had the usual nausea at the start and um, like aches and pains at the end. But other than that, it went really well. So, yeah, it was it was a good experience for me. Right, so it was a good journey. Yeah. And then your journey to postnatal um, depression and anxiety, how did that evolve? Was it a sudden sort of tits up experience or was it more of a gradual slide? Yeah, so definitely it was gradual for me. Um, I feel like the first few months I had a good support network around me. Um, you know, like my husband had the first two weeks off work to help me out. And then my mum flew in from Adelaide to be with me for another two weeks. Um, and then after that, I sort of, I did rely quite heavily on my mother-in-law to help me out as well. Um, but then it, then it came to lockdowns. So um, when did it start? Like March, March last year. Um, basically that, that coincides really well with when um, I started slipping 
into the mental illness with the depression and anxiety. And how did that, you know, how did it sort of evolve for you? Yeah, so um, I think the biggest um, contributor was sleep. Um, like my son, like many others, he just did not like sleeping. And um, on his worst nights, he was waking every hour. And just, you know, when you're not sleeping, it's, it's really bad for your mental health. And, you know, that combined with the isolation of lockdown, I uh, felt really lonely. And, you know, you couldn't go out and meet up with friends and was just stuck at home all day. And I just, you know, I'd wake up feeling really down and I was full of anxiety about his sleep because he wasn't sleeping well. And it's like, I don't know for you, but there just seems to be so much pressure on getting your kid to sleep through the night. That's always been there, but I'm sure it's getting much, much worse. It's almost as though it's become a milestone, hasn't it? And if you're not a, you know, I mean, way back, when I had my kids, you know, I had kids in the 80s, the 90s, no, 70s, the 80s, and then and I had a baby in the 90s. And, you know, so I've got nearly 18 years between the oldest and the youngest. And the first question everybody does ask you is, is he a good baby? And then you get the sleep question. But there's something about you as a mother, you blame yourself. I know with my first one, I blamed and blamed and blamed me until one day um, I was pregnant with the second one and this first one was still waking up. He was still breastfeeding at night. I don't remember how often he was waking up. It may have been two or three times. It may have been more some nights and he was clearly getting his molars because he was, you know, somewhere between 15 and 18 months. And I went to my GP because back in the day, it was very, very um, common for people to give their babies for Nurgen, which is absolutely yeah, yeah. dangerous. We know now, you know, they may not breathe in the night. Yeah, yeah. But I went to my GP and he's a lovely guy, you know, toys and crap all over the floor in the GP office, you know, whichever kids had come and had already messed up the place. And I said to him, can you give me something to help him sleep? And he looked at me and said, look, I'm sorry, but if it's any consolation, our kids didn't sleep at all until they were over two. And I yeah. like, in a way, I was kind of disappointed that <laughs> he couldn't help me. But yeah. I was also a sense of relief came over me that I was not such a crappy mother because if my doctor, who must be God and have all the answers, which I realise now is not the case, you know, I have friends who are doctors whose kids don't sleep, but, you know, I, I, it was just such a revolution to me because everyone else had been telling me about these rods I was making for my back. Mm -hmm. And when he said his kids didn't sleep, I went, I'm not so dumb perhaps. You know, yeah. maybe it's not all my fault. And that took a lot of the stress load off, whereas... You know, I think when your child doesn't sleep and you're stressed, mm -hmm. those stress hormones come up and they can really impact you. Yep. No, I, I totally agree with that. The biggest help for me with the sleep was um, like coming across the Beyond Sleep Training Project and just hearing all the other mothers going through the same thing as me was just so comforting and validating because you're right, I did blame myself. I was trying to follow the books and trying to get him on schedules and he wasn't having a bar of it. You know? He hadn't read those books. Yeah, <laughs> he just wanted to be close to me. And I had this guilt because, you know, we're not supposed, uh, apparently not supposed to have them rely on you for sleep, but he, he did. And he, once I started to just let go of those expectations, um, it did ease a lot of that anxiety um, and yeah, it, it really did help me, but it, it was more than that. I, I really was in the depths of depression and anxiety. So I needed, I needed more than that to help myself. Yeah. Right. And how quickly did you become aware of it? You know, when you've got this family history of mental mm -hmm. illness, yeah. you, you're familiar with the signs for other people but not necessarily for yourself and did you become early you know aware quite early on that you weren't well that you were on this slippery slope or did it take someone else to notice that you were struggling well that's the thing um like you know I have been surrounded by it but it's it's such a unique thing for each person that I don't think I was aware of it at the start 
you know, I was sort of comparing what I was going through to what I'd seen and it wasn't the same. So I was telling myself, oh, I'm fine. Like I'll be all right. And it, it, it did take actually someone pointing out that they noticed I wasn't doing so well. And um, I'm really grateful for that because that gave me that push to reach out for help. Oh, yeah, because genetics can play a significant part in that vulnerability. I mean, I wasn't aware of it. I come from a family where I have, you know, immediate family members with bipolar disorder. And luckily I dodged that bullet. I do have mm -hmm. an anxiety disorder, but I dodged that bullet and I... When I had, you know, perhaps my first baby's postnatal depression wasn't even spoken about. So yep. if I had become unwell, I don't think I would have noticed either. Like you sort of, you know, things happen and it, it takes a bit because like you say, every situation is so unique. And reading your Instagram page where women have their stories, they are so unique. Mm -hmm. So you can't just say that person's got, you know, concrete signs that she's needing some help. So... Um, but I feel really strongly that you know, just as we're asked about our physical medical history when we become pregnant, that it would be good for, you know, we should be screening mothers for, you know, around mental health. And it's not to label anyone. It's even to notice that that particular mother, you know, if her own mother's unwell or suffers from depression, yes, it's her genetic loading will be a little bit different, but also, you know, she'd be maybe a bit more at risk but also she won't have that support mm. that you might have. And I think asking questions around women about how much support have you got yeah. would be really helpful. Yeah. Were you ever asked antenatally about your um, family history on mental health? Well, yeah, I remember it's just all part of that process of meeting with the midwives as we did, you know, I did fill out some forms and I remember saying that I had a family history of depression and things like that. But it was never really followed up on, um, like you were saying, you know, it was just a format. Tick the boxes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And then when you, when you visit with the child health nurses um, after you've given birth, it's the same kind of thing. It's like fill out a checklist. And I think a lot of mums actually play it down because they don't want to feel like they're doing it wrong. You know, they don't. I've heard a lot of mums say they worry that their baby will get taken away from them if they admit that, you know, they're struggling. Oh, that's so sad, isn't it? I've heard that too. And I just feel it's so sad. And I think it's because you are so vulnerable. I mean, by the time you have that little baby, your pituitary, that little gland at the base of your brain is twice its normal size and you are super protective mm. of your baby. You know, the mother lion jumps in yeah. and you would hate anyone to separate you from your baby. So you know, this fear, although it's not going to be the case, you know, there are mother-baby units where people go and if you've got an understanding child health nurse, she'll find, she'll know the supports for you. It's not that your baby's going to be whipped out of your arms because yeah. you say you're having a hard time. But I think, you know, you are going through that process of being really vulnerable needing to be really close to your child and any anybody who's going to take it and if you add a little you know a few more rocks in the wheelbarrow and you've got anxiety as well yeah. where we hear a lot about depression but we don't hear so much about anxiety was your anxiety specifically about things or was it just you know, an anxiety that was generalized well like I mentioned before the thing I was most anxious about was the sleep but Honestly, I was, I was constantly on edge about everything, you know. I was, I was really, like, super sensitive. If anyone had any comments about my son or, you know, what he was doing, what he was not doing, I would take it really, really personally. And it's, it's, it's hard to explain what it feels like, but it, it would all come to a head at, at bedtime. It would, all that anxiety would turn into a big panic attack um, when, <clears throat> when I couldn't get him to go to sleep. I was very triggered by his crying. Um, that, that crying, it's like it switched a switch in my brain and just I went into that fight or flight mode every time, which is exhausting <laughs> because babies cry all the time and it's not, um, it's not always necessarily a bad thing. It's just how they communicate. But obviously there's something a bit wrong in my mind where it was always the worst thing in the world when he cried. 
but your brain is triggered. You know, they've done MRIs on mothers and, you know, played tapes of their own babies crying and then played tapes of other babies crying. And when it's your own baby, parts of your brain light up. So when your brain is a little bit out of kilter, you know, that brain wiring, it, it just must speed up. You, you can't, it's completely understandable that that would be a bigger trigger. And, yeah. you know, and I've worked with so many mums who, you know, the sleep has become so triggering. And again, like you say, by the end of the day, you're tired, your resources are gone. You know, maybe if that baby didn't have a morning sleep or something, it wouldn't be so bad. You'd probably just pop them in a carrier or pop them in the pram and have a walk and hope for the best. Whereas at night time, when you're not actually, you know, when your child is waking up through the night, mm-hmm. You must be, you know, you're worried. Well, what's tonight going to be like? And then I'll feel like rubbish and then... Yeah, it's like a vicious cycle. You you wake up exhausted. You don't have the, the strength and the energy to get through another day of the same thing. So I really was in a... I was in a hole. I felt like I was drowning and, like, nobody knew how to help me like people would offer to help but it wasn't necessarily the help that I needed and it really took um yeah me phoning um a mental health hotline speaking to them and then from that point starting to see a psychologist to really help me understand why I was feeling the way I was feeling and um help me to know how to manage it because sometimes you sort of hear the word recovery and you think that means you'll be free of it. But for me, I I still am experiencing symptoms of both depression and anxiety, but I feel like I have more tools in my toolbox to, to deal with it. You know, that's really, yeah, that's really good. So from other people's perspective, what, you know, I know with pandemics and lockdown and you've mentioned you found the Beyond Sleep Training Group, what did you find helpful? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so the thing that helps me the most when I'm experiencing these symptoms, I guess, is to be able to take time to myself. And I know that that's not always possible when you have a baby, um, but in the opportunities where I did have someone else there, I would have to pass him off and just go for a walk, go for a drive, just to calm myself down. Like I said, I had this constant anxiety and I needed to, you know, soothe, soothe myself to be able to. Well, you're to- constantly um, in charge of this baby. Yeah. I mean, even if he's in someone else's arms, you still are. <laughs> you know, you're still in actually ultimately responsible. So yeah, I think it's it's really heavy and hard for mums. And with pandemic, because you're not allowed visitors, somewhat, you know, we're in a normal situation. I know we might, one of my daughters had her baby here 11 minutes from home. She yeah. could call into my place and say, have him, I'm going to bed. And I would put him in a carrier and go for a walk. And an hour or so later, I'd come back and she'd had a nap. Whereas yeah. my other daughter had her baby in lockdown in Dubai last year. Well, you couldn't even, you know, a girlfriend can't even come in and hold your baby while you have a shower, No, you know, which is so simple, but it might be enough just to take the edge off. Exactly. And, and that's, that's why the mums who've had babies in lockdown are really feeling it. You know, they're getting burnt out because we're not able to have a break to take care of ourselves and, you might think that it's not that important, but then you realise when you are burnt out how important it, it would have been to take that time to take care of yourself. Before the burnout happens. And we say there's no burnout without fire, and I think there's a lot of fires around. Yeah, that's true. What, what do you think other people could do if they see that a mum's struggling? You know, if they can whether she's locked down or whether she's not, what could they do? What would be helpful? It's, I think it's sometimes tricky because it's almost like there's this unwritten rule as a mother where you shouldn't ask for help, you know, that it's a mm-hmm. sign, sign of failure if you, if you have to ask for help. But um, sometimes I think you just have to step in and, and do some things for them. Especially if you if you're a mother, you know what things you would have liked help with. 
you know, if you are going to visit someone to maybe do the dishes for them or bring them a meal, like, like those kinds of things mean a lot. I think, especially if you're struggling mentally, little things like doing the dishes and having a shower can actually be like more difficult than, than usual. It's like, you don't have that mental energy because it's all condensed into just taking care of your baby you know oh and if your baby cries you know if you get in the shower and that baby cries well then damn goes your shower or damn goes the shampoo you don't get to wash your hair that day or you know it's just you have moments here and there and even if you're in the shower you're going to hear that baby crying and you get out and they're sound asleep where you're right where you left them anyway so i always suggest so many times take the baby into the bathroom with you if you have to take the bassinet if you put them in the rocker in the bathroom at least you can peek out and know. I mean, you're not getting that lovely shower all by yourself, but, yeah. you know, if you've got a partner when they are home, maybe that's one of the things. How can partners help? Yeah. Oh, sorry, how did my partner how help? Can par- how can partners in general help? Yeah. Well, I think out of everyone, they hopefully would notice the signs, you know, because they're with them the most. Um, I know that my partner... He, he did feel a bit helpless, you know. He would he would be there to comfort me and offer me verbal support and, and you know, take the baby when I needed it. But for me, that, that wasn't enough. I needed, um, I really needed to speak to a professional because, mm. you know, often family members or friends, we, we don't really know what to say. If we haven't gone through those things, it's, it's hard to know what to say. And I think that that's how my husband felt when I would open up to him. He'd just be like, oh, it'll be all right. But I just thought, no, it's not all right. It's not all right. And he was trying to be hopeful for yeah. you. Yeah. But like you say, they really don't know. And they're probably just as frightened as you are. They've got this partner who's been competent and capable and, you know, happy she's had a baby or maybe not. I mean, sometimes um, mental illness starts very quickly after you've had the baby and suddenly that person that they knew I mean even if you don't have any depression or anxiety you've changed anyway and there's big changes for both partners and actually um, partners can also suffer from postnatal depression at almost the same rate as the mother I was quite surprised when I read that statistic you know it's about five percent for mums and about four percent for Mm. No, sorry, one in five for mums and about one in four for partners. And it doesn't, that doesn't surprise me though. There's so many factors of having a baby that contribute to poor mental health. And if, if, if you're not getting the support from your partner, they're probably not getting it from you. And so you're both, both, you're both spiraling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. What could be some of the signs that family members and friends, you know, that to look out for? Because I think it's important that everybody is aware, you know, everybody who's in contact with a new mum, if you're a family member or whatever. I mean, we're all excited about this new baby, but... Yeah. What can we do, you know, to look out for that mum that she might be starting on that slippery slope, even if she hasn't hit the wall yet? But, you know, what could people look out for? Yeah, so like I said before, I'm sure it is quite different for each person, but there there is a big change in, in in the way that that person will behave, I think. Um, for me, it's hard to explain. You know, I just didn't even want to get out of bed. I didn't want to get dressed. I didn't want to um, go out. Not that I could really go out. But and it would be hard to tell in a pandemic, wouldn't it? Because, yeah. I mean, we're walking around our tracky dacks or our pyjamas. I mean, I, I sort of make the joke about my day pyjamas and my night pyjamas some days. And, yeah. and it's not that anything's wrong. It's just that, well, here we go again. Newborns need to be fed around the clock and the mama milk machine does not stop, day or night. The average baby requires at least nine hours of hands-on care a day and that doesn't include all the extra tasks of washing, cooking and basic self-care, like simply having a shower, that goes with a new addition to your family. 
As you breastfeed and care for your baby, feeding yourself is often the last thing you can manage. And this is why I, Pinky, I'm an international board certified lactation consultant, created delicious booby foods. So far, booby brickies and booby brekkie to nourish you as you breastfeed your baby. As a nourishing snack, an analysis by Victoria University Melbourne found that Pinky's booby foods can be a helpful nutritional complement to a healthy balanced diet. And because we know that everything mothers eat will be passed to their baby through breast milk, booby bickies and booby brekkie are made from all natural and organic ingredients with no preservatives or additives. You can download my free ebook, Making More Mummy Milk Naturally, and you'll get 15% off any purchase when you order booby bickies, booby brekkie, or any of the carefully curated breastfeeding accessories at www.boobyfoods.com.au. Use the code TITSUP at checkout to receive your 15% discount. So yeah. it could be a bit harder to notice. Yeah, exactly. And that's I th- that's why a lot of women struggle to see it in themselves because especially the first few months of motherhood are really hard and you're not mm. sleeping, you're not getting any time to yourself. So um, some signs could be, I think, being really moody and irritable. Is mm-hmm. She's turned into a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> That, that was me. I would take it out on my husband all the time and he didn't understand where that was coming from. But really it, it was coming from my needs not being met, you know. Mm. And that was just how I, I guess, released that. So if you're fighting with your partner all the time, there could be a chance that she's struggling and she doesn't know how to express that. Oh. And, and do you get offended if you... You know, I mean, some, it's normal if someone yells at you to yell back or to huff off and all that sort of thing. And I mean, I don't want to get personal with you, but is it, you know, it must be really hard to say, you know, and I often say to the guys, look, she hasn't turned into a bitch. She's not well. Yeah. yeah. You know, patience, patience, patience and getting her help. Yeah. But did you get offended when somebody said they thought you needed help or were you actually quite relieved? Um, I, I wasn't offended, no, because I, I think I was just in denial. I knew right. something wasn't right. And to hear someone say, oh, uh, yeah, I don't think, you know, I think you need help was, was helpful to me. But I, I can see how it would make other people offended because often you can think that that means you're not a good enough mum, you know. If they think Ooh. I need help, that means... I'm not doing good enough, you know. So it's mental health can be a really touchy thing to talk about. And I think a lot of people avoid it because they don't want to say the wrong thing. It is hard, isn't it? Because it's sort of so invisible. Like if someone's got a broken leg or broken arm or something like that, you know, you can see the wound, you can talk about it, you can ask them how they're feeling. Whereas when someone has depression and yes, a close family member, you know, it's, I remember my husband actually has depression at times, you know, he's okay now, but, you know, he has had bouts of major depression. And I remember one night making pumpkin soup and I had deliberately made pumpkin soup because he didn't like it, (laughs) which was such a bloody stupid perspective. I mean, whereas now he eats pumpkin soup when he's well, but I had deliberately made it because I knew he wouldn't eat it. You know, he didn't like it. So, you know, there's that paranoia sort of factor that you think other people, I mean, that's just some people, it's not not the way it manifests for everyone, yeah. um, you know, and also the things about being awake, you know, you're, you're placing it on your baby's sleep, but sometimes one of the signs is that even when your baby is asleep, you aren't, you are wide awake. Yeah, I struggled with that. Yeah, I had, had quite a bit of insomnia and I also had this real obsession with, um, checking that my baby was okay while he was sleeping. I had this irrational fear that he was just going to stop breathing and I would, yeah, he'd go to sleep and I'd be checking on him, you know, all the time. So it, yeah, there's lots of ways that mental illness can show up. And so for me to say what the signs are, 
it's, I think it's different for everyone. But oh. a good resource actually is um, on the Panda website. There's a checklist you can go through. And I think there's one for um, the mother and one for a partner as well. So that, that's really Yeah, they've got some absolutely lovely resources um, at Panda. And I think, you know, that's panda.org for people that are listening. But I will put that in the show notes because I think it's an excellent resource. Yeah. Here in Australia and wherever you are, because we have the internet, you can actually go look these things up, whether you're local or you're not. So the internet is, look, it can be a double-edged sword. It can really, you know, all that sleep advice can be pushing you down. But if you find the right places to go through and if you can get through into that funnel of good stuff, you know, and I will put those resources up. I'll put your Instagram page. I'll put your, um, um, you know, because there's so many brave women just sharing stories and you've got some lovely messages of support. And I think that's important too. So do you want to tell us a bit about that community that you've created there? Because that's what it's become, hasn't it, really? Yeah, it's it's really taken off um, in a way I wasn't expecting. So I started it, I think, in May. and um, Oh, that's soon. Yeah, so I was, I was quite frustrated that I was still experiencing postnatal depression and anxiety nearly two years on. And I, I wanted to hear from other mothers who were going through the same thing. Um, and I was like sort of Googling support groups. I couldn't find anything near me. And I thought, I'll just start my own one. So I just started up this little Instagram account and added all my friends that were mums and, um, you know, over time it's it's grown and I've, I've met some really lovely women and like you were saying I've had people reach out and share their stories and it just it's 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 so validating to hear other women going through the same thing and to share what's helped them and because Instagram can be so superficial um oh yes yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, and that can add pressure, can't it? When you don't think you're a good enough mum and you see people's A game yeah. with beautiful professional photos and lovely stories about their mothering. And look, there are some lovely honest accounts, yeah. but there are also some that you just think, well, how the bloody hell do they do that? <laughs> I know, and that, that was me. I'd, I'd be feeling down and open up my Instagram and I'm like, oh, this just makes me feel worse because I'm sitting here with greasy hair and crying and you know messy house and everything is so perfect for them but that's it's just not reality and that's something that I wanted to do with this account was to show to show the downsides as well which is it's it's a little bit shameful to some people I think to to show that side it's like it's like if you're saying that you're struggling um that you're not grateful to be a mother or something silly like that. I've had people say that that's how they feel. You know, if you're admitting how hard it is, it's like, well, this is what you signed up for. You can't complain about it. Kind of Get thing. on with it. <laughs> Pull up those big girl pants and go for it, girly. What's wrong with you? And, and you have older women saying, well, I had three kids and I didn't have any help and my husband did nothing, and which probably was true, but maybe that woman's forgotten or maybe she's had a community. You know, there are times when everybody finds it tricky. Yeah. Yeah. But also, you know, a generation ago, you did have to pull your big girl pants up. You <laughs> couldn't admit that you had a hard time. Yeah. So, you know, the poor women who weren't managing, although I found, you know, a great community eventually with my first baby, I didn't have it. But, you know, um, I did have, I actually had this baby in North Melbourne and there were homeless shelters around and there'd always be some old drunks with a bottle and a brown paper bag that would come and swing off the pram when I went for a walk and so if I was feeling cabin fever I'd go for a walk and I had the funniest stories and one late one day there was an old lady and look all of those people had mental health problems but I think because I had visited psych wards to visit my own mother because treatment wasn't good in those days you know when she had depression I would, I wasn't frightened by people who were a little bit left of centre. And I had one woman one day who hung off my pram, staggering with her brown paper bag and her bottle of what the hell it was. I don't know. I mean, it could have been meths for all I know. Um, 
And she was telling me, you know, what a beautiful baby I had. And then she was telling me that I had 13 kids. I had six blonde-haired girls and six dark-haired boys. And number 13 was a bloody freaking redhead. And I, <laughs> I don't know if it was true yeah. or her story or she just loved having a chat. But it was just hysterical. And... I don't know. I'd come home and feel like I'd had a bit of an outing. You know, it was like going to the movies and seeing <laughs> something else. But I always, or sometimes I'd just sit in the park and these people would come and sit next to me and tell me their baby was beautiful. There were other people who ran businesses where I'd go, you know, the milk bar or the brick shop or something. But yeah. just to get out of that house and talk to people, which again, in the pandemic, people haven't had that, just that little boost of endorphins yeah. that you get from meeting other people. And you know, yes, I was told I was making the rod for my baby's back because he woke up at night and all those stupid things that, you know, and then years later found out, you know, sister-in-laws actually were having a conversation and they started opening up because my mm-hmm. husband's the youngest of a big family. And I had sister-in-laws who had told me I was making this rod for my back. And then we were having afternoon tea one day when my kids were much older and one of them was going on about what a dreadful baby he was. We used to have to drive him around the car to get him to sleep. And I, I said, you could have helped me if you told me the truth. Yeah. Instead of going on, you know, so I think mums do need this level of honesty, but yeah. you are doing your page in a really positive way. It's not just a stack of mothers moaning. Yeah, yeah. You know, their stories are there and it's beautifully done how you've got the carousel with their story in it. Mm-hmm. And it's not... I don't think it's scary for mothers and I don't, you know, I think it's positive. That that was what I liked about your page because women are quite factual with their stories It's and they've got this journey to recovery and recovery in inverted commas perhaps because mm-hmm. I think there's always an awareness and if you have another baby, yeah, how would you, you know, how does that impact you and, you know, you probably need to see your counsellors and you need to have everybody on hand you know, you would prepare for that support as well as you could if you were having another baby. Does it frighten you, the prospect of having another baby? It does, yeah. And that's why on this page has been really helpful for me because I've been able to hear from lots of women who've had multiple children um, saying that, you know, sometimes second time round you don't get the postnatal depression and sometimes, sometimes it can be a very healing experience from the first time and it's not to say that it will be great sometimes it's worse the second time around but it's just good to to hear all the different stories and to know well for me to know that if I was to have another baby um yeah I feel like I'm in a better position now I've been through it before I know the things I need to do um if I'm struggling so I'd like to think that second time around wouldn't be as hard but maybe just a different kind of hard it's a different kind of hard because you've got another child but I have heard from you know I've had mothers (laughs) say that they have had support all lined up for the second time around and luckily it hasn't happened or unluckily it has but they've known their partners aware of the signs their family members aware of the signs they are aware when to reach out much more quickly rather than, you know, and they they don't have those fears that someone's going to come and take my baby if I'm not coping (laughs) kind of thing. So, you know, and once they're on top of it quickly, it's it's not necessarily going to go to that depth that it might have the first time because when you have anxiety, you worry about, and I don't don't know if I've already mentioned, but I have an anxiety disorder. And when it's playing up, yeah, you get you almost get in this vicious cycle of feeling anxious about an anxiety attack or yeah. a panic attack or something and, and it, you know it's that cycle of I'm anxious but I'm going to get more anxious yeah so things that would normally hit you at about you know a two or a three on your Richter scale will bang you at a 10 yeah and whip that rug out from underneath you so you need to know how to guard your own energy so how what do you do now to protect your energy and keep you on the path of wellness Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that meeting with a psychologist has helped me to um, like really understand myself and my triggers. And I think once you're aware of what what sets you off, 
like you know when you're in that situation that it's a bit dangerous like for me still the crying and the whinging is a big trigger um so if if Oscar is really upset I know that I need to do something I can't just let it keep happening or I'm gonna freak out so um, often if I'm at home with him, I'll just take him outside for a walk and, and that calms him down every time. So that's a really good tool for me. Um, and if, if your baby's younger, breastfeeding is always a great tool to calm both of you down. Um, yes, because chemically you have that release of oxytocin and you're cuddling your baby. I mean, even if mothers aren't breastfeeding, just that skin to skin, that cuddling will boost your oxytocin. And as your oxytocin comes up, your cortisol levels will go down. You know, you, you balance out those hormones, you know, your, your, what do you call them, reproductive hormones, I guess, versus your stress hormones. And if you can cuddle that child and do some breathing even can be something, yeah. can't it? But the breastfeeding for most women will be, if it's going well, yeah, yeah. and it's also anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and depression is related to inflammation. So, you know, there's a lot of chemical stuff that women can do. Have you, you know, have your doctors done things like I always recommend mothers have their iron, their thyroid and their vitamin D levels, B12 is another one too, you know, to to get those levels done because for all mothers just to um, be in the best nick that they can be in, because of the massive job that they're doing and often the symptoms of low iron or thyroid if it's low or if it's high if it's high you're more likely to have the anxiety and that sort of was one of my factors is the Graves disease which is an autoimmune thyroid disorder but you know thyroid symptoms can be very very similar to depression symptoms yeah Yeah. it's very important to um you know to view your body as a whole, you know, your mind, your body is obviously all connected. And um, for me, I did, I did start on antidepressants and it was a really big decision for me because it was quite scary. I didn't, I didn't want to go down that path, but um, I talked to a few of my friends who I knew who had, had been on them and how much it helped them. And one of them really explained it to me in a way that just made sense. Like you were saying, if your body's deficient in something, you, you know, you take a supplement, you, you get the help you need for that. And, and sometimes with antidepressants, your brain is, you know, deficient in certain things, you know, the chemi- some of the neurotransmitters yeah. and it can be a bridge anyway. And I, do, I often think some people need glasses. Yeah. You know, diabetics need insulin. It's not necessarily that you've got a deficiency in your body of antidepressants, but it yeah, can help yeah. those neurotransmitters yeah. level out. And, you know, at the same time, you can be having all these other checks and make sure. But it, like you say, it's, it's important to treat the whole body and not to be frightened because there are completely safe antidepressants that you can breastfeed on. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that is what you need. It's not for everybody, but to oh. do- you know, to get a good doctor and to trust um, their advice. And if you feel that your GP isn't helpful, you can look for another one or you can ask for a referral to a psychiatrist. Now, people often think a psychiatrist, my God, I must be crazy. But it's not like that at all. You know, I've, I've had a couple of really good psychiatrists that I refer mothers to. I mean, I haven't personally had them, but, you know, there are some good psychiatrists who work with perinatal mental health and they specialise in it and they are, you know, one of the people I've referred is a woman, one is a ma- an older man actually because um, one woman I suggested, she went to this particular woman and look, not everybody matches up yeah. with the personality of the person they're seeing and I had said to her, well, look, you know, there is a man, he's an older man in your area, how would you feel about that? And then she thanked me profusely because she got, she got connection with this person and, you know, felt that their help was more appropriate for her. So, you know, it's okay to shop around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. The first um, psychologist that I spoke to, I didn't really feel a connection with, but the next one I did. And so I think often a lot of people will try that first one and think, oh no, it's not for me. 
if you say if you shop around you can find someone you really connect with that really helps you and often asking other other women you know who it's really hard though because everybody isn't talking (laughs) about you know that I'm seeing a psychologist or I'm seeing a psychiatrist or I'm seeing my GP or I'm on antidepressants and again it's so individual I mean some antidepressants will be suitable for some people and for others they just you know they're too drowsy or too dopey or whatever and you know and some people if they've got a family history of bipolar they might be put on antidepressants and become very revved up you know so you need someone that really knows your history that will you know is is experienced in yeah medication yeah no that's true and like you said um you know being part of this online community is great for that kind of thing to chat to other mothers if you have fears around getting help to hear someone else talk about how they got help yes yeah it can be really motivating you think well so-and-so did this I think I think I might try it you know and now she's able to enjoy her child which is really the big thing isn't it that you know that you can actually be well enough to enjoy that child and connect with them on the level that you feel good about yeah yeah and so for me I'm you know while I still experience some symptoms it's it's a lot better than it was last year um since I started medication, I feel like the way that it has helped me is to start the day at a real neutral level rather than super low. So, you know, if I can start the day at a normal level, then by the end of the day, I'm okay. Whereas if I was starting super low, like how was I? <laughs> the spiral's even worse yeah. and there's no hope, is there? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. Do you have a message, you know, I mean, now two years on, you've told us where you're at and it's great. You know, I'm so happy for you. But do you have a message of hope for mums that are in that dark tunnel right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just think there, there always is hope and it's hard when you're in the thick of it to think that it's going to end or that it will get easier. But... If you're able to be in tune with yourself and really understand what your needs are and to ask for help, you you can get better. I think that it's that denial, that ignoring, sweeping it under the rug, it doesn't help anybody. And I've seen that people um, close to me have that kind of mindset and it's not helped them. I think that's what made me so proactive about it is because I wanted I wanted to get better. I didn't want this to be something that I struggled with my whole life. I wanted to be able to, I feel like I tried everything, you know, everything to make myself feel better. So there is hope. There is hope for you if, if you're hurting, if you're feeling like you don't want to do this anymore. You, you do need help. I don't, I don't know of many people who can get out of that hole by themselves. You know, there needs to be someone reaching out to pull you up out of it. And yeah, that's my message that there's hope for happier days ahead. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Because there is, you know, people can heal, but I think when you're in that deep, dark depth, I mean, I've had mothers tell me, you know, they're waiting for someone to come and take their baby away because they don't feel they're the best mother for their child or they feel their family would be better off without them, which is really sad. Yeah. And they really do need, you know, a referral to yeah. some special help. And for all health professionals listening, you know, and for even anyone, instead of saying, is he a good baby, can you say, and how are you? Yeah. And often that will be the floodgates opening for that mother, won't it? Yeah, it's the, you remind me of that saying, you know, everyone asks, um, you know, everyone wants to hold the baby, but who, who holds the mother? Yeah. Mothers yeah. do need to be held. And everybody asks the um, mother, how was the baby sleeping? Yeah. How was the baby feeding? Yeah. You know, nobody's asking the mother, are you getting any sleep? Yeah. Are you eating well? You know, how are you feeling? But yeah. we all focus on the baby and it'd be really nice if new mums got a bit a bit more support and love and care. But just by asking that, you know, often that's enough to just for that mother to 
maybe burst in tears. But I think people feel uncomfortable about that. Yeah. So they it, avoid the questions. I don't know. Maybe they just don't think. You know, may, you know, people don't necessarily get out of themselves to to think and to ask that. So have you got any tips for mothers about how to be the mother you want to be? That'll be our, you know, we'll finish up with got a lovely positive message there about reaching out and getting help yeah being the mother you want to be forget all the instagram yeah pretend stories yeah now this is something um that i wish i could go back and tell myself as a new mum. i was so caught up in what like all the advice everyone was giving me and i just assumed that you know if this person's had five kids they know it better than me but the truth is like you are the right mother for your child and you actually know them better than anyone else. And it's a process of learning how to trust your gut feelings and your instincts. And that, that took me a lot longer than I would have liked, but I got there eventually um, once I started following the way that I think my baby needed, things did get easier rather than trying to follow everyone else's advice so yeah my tip is to to trust yourself um, you might think that you don't know much as a new mother but you know a lot better than you might think you do that is perfect and you know where would we be as a human race if <laughs> every mother <laughs> was not the best person for her child yeah, exactly it's in you it really is and you can trust yeah so that's beautiful, Jade. So thank you so much. And I'll be putting those bits in the, you know, those links in the show notes for you. Yeah. And we'll spread this conversation around because I think it's so important. And you've, you've told us so many beautiful things for mums that they will relate to and, you know, they won't be so feeling so bad about reaching out and getting help because you're, a, you know, a beautiful mum. Thanks, Pinky. Tits up, ladies. Pull up your big girl pants. We can do this. We are mothers. In the spirit of reconciliation, I acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the traditional owners and custodians of this country and their connection to land, water and community. We pay our respect to them, their cultures and customs and to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tits Up. This podcast was produced by Dave Stokes. For more information, connections with our guests and special offers from our show sponsors, please pop over to my website and check out the show notes, www.pinkymccabe.com. I would love it if you could please share the love by leaving a review. Five-star reviews will help other mums to find the support and information too.